Can I pray with you? Our Father in heaven, as we take these words, your words, and spend the next few minutes pouring over them, would you cause this to be a time where your voice is known really clearly? Would you cause this to be a time where our hearts are keenly aware of what is in your hearts? And our minds would have the opportunity for a moment to grasp the things that are in your minds. God, I pray that you would let us know your spirits more than you would let us know a voice of a man. And that the things that you would have to say to each of yours in this place would be said really well. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd use the time. Amen. Amen. Beautiful to have Scott quote these words out of Psalm 8. Uh, My name is Kent, and I'm looking forward to digging into this song with you. A song of King David who begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. It's a a word, it's a picture that I'm not sure we use too often in our day. We don't talk a lot about the majestic anymore. I think there was a day long before we had TV screens and iPhones where folks would sit out on their front porch and would spend the evening just staring into the sky. Would watch the stars come out and would contemplate the majestic. There was a day where there were kings and queens. And people were used to huge celebrations and long parades. Because her majesty was coming into the city. Curious for you today, when you hear majestic, what comes to mind for you? What is the picture? Sorry, I'm moving somebody's stuff here. What comes to mind for you when you hear the word majestic? For Aaron, it's this. And I was excited to see what he came up with. This picture of the creation of God with sort of the glory there in the middle coming down from the top. Man, if I had an ounce of that guy's creativity, that'd be super fun. But what comes to mind for you? When you think about the majestic. For me, I've had the opportunity over the last couple of weeks to play with the idea of majesty. Pretty crazy. Andrew asked me if I would preach on Psalm 8 a long time ago. And I knew that in between when he asked me to preach on Psalm 8 and today, I was going to have the opportunity to take the trip of a lifetime. My wife and I just got home from two weeks of trouncing around Europe. One of those like, wait a minute, we're going to get to do what kind of experiences? So my dad, who does not enjoy traveling and hates flying, had decided that he was going to make my mom's lifelong dream come true. She'd always dreamed of traveling Europe. And 
And so dad lined it up so that instead of just he and my mother going, me, my brothers, my sister, and all of our spouses all got to go with them. So 10 of us hopped an airplane out of Atlanta and flew to the city of Rome. If you knew my family at all, you would know that we'd get somewhere like that and it's on. Like we're going to see everything we can possibly see, do everything we can possibly do, and we'll sleep some other year. So we, we started to travel around this city, playing around in the ancient ruins, going all over places like the Vatican. And in the midst of all of this trip, I knew I'm going to get home, stand before Providence, and I'm going to preach on the majesty of God. So this word majesty just sort of hung over the entire trip for me. So we're standing where the emperor would sit in the Colosseum. And I'm thinking about majesty. Wow, what an incredibly powerful person, right? The majestic. We find ourselves in the Sistine Chapel staring at the ceiling and the walls and this sort of majestic work of Michelangelo. And you just kind of stand there in awe of the majesty of it. We make our way from Rome up through a place called Cinque Terre, which was a whole beautiful another story. And we get to Venice. I didn't know much about Venice at all. Found out for about 400 years, Venice was the wealthiest city in Europe. It was the place Europeans wanted to go. And in Venice, they had rulers that were known as the Doge. And so while we were there, we go take a tour of the palace of the Doge. Unreal. The majesty of those guys. And they put their palace right on the edge of the water so that everybody who sailed into Venice had to contemplate the majestic. By the end of the trip, we were in Paris. And we found ourselves standing in the Louvre, which, ignorant as I am, didn't realize that was actually the king's palace. And there hanging on the wall is the Mona Lisa. And you can't help but look at that portrait and think about the majesty of this picture that has caught the attention of humanity for like hundreds of years. We spent an evening at the Palace of Versailles. Everything coated in gold, portraits and statues and you, you look out over the gardens of this place and you contemplate the majestic. But in between Italy and France, we found ourselves tucked in a cabin in the Swiss Alps. Anybody ever been to Lauterbrunnen? Has anybody ever been there? Like it's one of those places where you find yourself just standing there hoping your jaw is not too far down that people are wondering what's wrong with you. But we were standing there staring out at the Swiss Alps. You've got a glacier coming down through this valley. This valley over here is just pristine, bright green grasses. 
unreal waterfall coming down the one cliff, and you just think, where am I? And it struck us as we stood there staring out over this Swiss Alp creation that when the world talks about the majestic, the best we have to offer are things like the Sistine Chapel, the ingenuity of the Roman Colosseum. But the truth is, compared to the majesty of the one who can create the scenes of the Swiss Alps, no disrespect, but the Sistine Chapel is like a Casey's gas station. (laughs) Just standing there in awe. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. In other words, our God is a God who sits enthroned over it all. And his greatness, his majesty is so much more than even the best that humans can offer. And King David in this psalm is struck by the majesty of God. And yet watch this. I don't think his reminder of God's majesty is actually the point of Psalm 8. I think all he's doing in that first statement about the majesty of God is David is setting the stage to drop on us what I believe is one of the most incredible pictures in all of Scripture. Please hear this. He is reminding us that even though our God is so much greater than all else. He cares about you. Let that sink in for a moment. The one whose glory is over all things cares about you. I was struck everywhere we went in Europe. There were all sorts of barriers to keep, for lack of a better way to phrase it, to keep peasants like me at a distance from the majestic. Right? Walls put up, ropes put up, signs put up. There would have been no way back in the day of the kings and the queens that a peasant like me would have any ability to get anywhere close. Even today, I can't get close to what once was. The king's bed, I can see it, but not a chance am I going to get close enough to touch it. Even at the Vatican, as my twin brother and I are trying to find a back way into the basilica, 
that's a long story and it's just sort of how we roll. All of a sudden at the top of the steps, here are the Swiss guards. Why? Because the Pope is in there. And we got to protect. There is a thing in our world where the majestic is unapproachable by the ordinary. The peasant would never have opportunity to approach the king. And yet in Psalm 8, King David is painting a picture of the most majestic one. And what he's about to do after he reminds us of God's majesty is he's about to flip the coin over and say, but look at this. Although he is that great, he cares about you. He is not an unapproachable walled off majesty but rather he's a God who says oh I'd love for you to come to me I want to walk down through these verses a bit but keep this little picture in mind when a king would have entered a city let's say it's after a battle how would the king come in Like long, mighty parades with displays of splendor and power, right? The military marches in first. Why? I want my enemies to remember how powerful I really am. The the bands would come, the musicians would come, the people would be shouting, the banners would be waving. There would be this giant display of the power and the splendor of a king. David's going to start right here in verse 2 and say, but with my God, it's a little different. Look at the words. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. It's where David flips the coin. He says, hey, he's the most majestic one. But watch how he handles his majesty. He has set it up so that it is from the lips of children that he is going to receive his praise. There's no king ever on planet earth who has entered into cities in the face of his enemy to the voices of children. Our God, although the most majestic one, is totally different. And he set it up so that from the lowest, children would have been seen as the lowest of society, that from the lowest he would receive praise. Enemies would scoff at that, would they not? What kind of a king is this? Where's the army? And I think God would just smile and say, "I, I, I don't really need an army. And I don't really need to put on a show here. Let the, let the little children come to me. 
Jesus uses the same phrase in Matthew 21. You don't need to turn there, but it's that picture where the Lord enters the temple and sort of flips out. You've got the money changers and the the people selling all of the stuff. And Jesus walks in and starts throwing tables and driving out these folks. And he says, this was meant to be a house of prayer. A place where the world could come and meet with God. You've turned it into a den of robbers. And so he drives those people out. And then Matthew tells us he turns and starts healing the blind and the lame. And while he's doing that, the children in the temple are shouting, Hosanna, son of David. It was a a declaration of allegiance and praise. It meant save us, king. Matthew says that the chief priests and the teachers of the law were indignant, ticked. Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And the Lord says, I do. (laughs) Have you never read what is written? From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Again, all of this, I think, is David first drawing our attention to God and his majesty and then saying, but look, he handles his majesty in a radically different way than anything you've ever seen. And I would love for it to just sink deep into our souls that although he could be unapproachable, And so far beyond us, the reality is God cares about you. Keep going down through these verses and and just, just sort of listen for the things that David recognizes we as his people receive from him. David said, when I consider your heavens, The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands putting everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. David is blown away. He's blown away that somehow, even though God is so much greater than all else, He's still mindful of us. He cares about us. He has even exalted us. You and I are are just one notch beneath the heavenly beings. Having been given a crown of honor and glory. I don't think in those terms very often in my own journey. I don't see myself in that light very often in my own journey. But, but receive that today. You are a crowned one. 
We're not peasants in some kingdom. We are those who have been given crowns of honor and glory by the most majestic one. And then he gave us dominion. He said, I want you to rule over everything I've made. Now, here's why I think Psalm 8 is so significant. Absolutely convinced that in the journey of life, one of the greatest battles we face is the battle of worth. The truth being that every person in this room struggles with self-esteem. Right? We regularly feel very insignificant. The world around us pounds us with that message. Check this out. How did we get to a place where the phone that I carry in my pocket is somehow a declaration of my significance? You ever thought about that? How did we get here? Like, y'all are going to look now. How tight the bottom of my jeans are? somehow says something to the world about who I am. What kind of... Me- They're off, aren't they? I'm all right with it. How did we get to this place? The kind of car that I drive. Somehow it's an indicator of my significance. I want to suggest that the enemy of our souls has so powerfully influenced our culture that we constantly experience things that pound at our sense of worth. And over the course of our lives, we have taken upon ourselves some really destructive labels. And quite honestly, some of those labels have come from the mouths of people like a father. A mother's words have put labels over our heads that have at some times taken us into deep, dark places of feeling absolutely worthless. A teacher, a teacher made a comment back when you were in third grade. And that one careless statement has hung over your life like a dark cloud. Our sense of significance, our sense of worth is pounded 
all the time. Sorry about this microphone. It's pounded all the time. And yet we bump across psalmates where David says, look, even though he is more majestic than everything else on the planet, he is mindful of you. And he has deemed you absolutely Worth something. You are not a peasant in his kingdom. You are a daughter of the most high. You are a son of the king. And whatever label hangs over your life from the enemy. It needs to be thrown out and replaced with that notion. That we would live as a part of the family of God. And we wouldn't take the labels of the world. Some of you are starting to pull the but you don't know my story card out of your pockets. The thought starts going through your minds. Boy, this may be valid for the person over there, but you don't know my story. Good point. But I'll take your card and throw it in the shredder. Because when David recognized the mindfulness of God, he recognized that God knows your story. He doesn't just know the beauties of your story. He also knows the really, really ugly parts of your story. And his response to the ugly was not a, yeah, let's just act like that didn't happen. His response was, yep, we're going to need to do something about that. And so he sent his son. And Jesus said, you know what, Kent, let me grab the ugly and I'm going to take care of that for you. Because the son of mine isn't going to live in that anymore. And he didn't put a bony finger in your face to condemn you and call you a worthless peasant. He put an arm over your shoulder and said, we're going to take care of this. And he took your ugly straight to the cross. That he might be justified in calling it forgiven. Recognizing this. That his end desire was not simply that you and I would live as forgiven sinners. He's not interested us in walking around the planet just simply living as these people who have a really bad story, but we've been forgiven. He's interested in us living as sons and daughters of the Most High. Yes, sin's forgiven, but it's so much more than that. The most majestic one. He says, I care for you. And my hope is that would be the new label. 
that that would be what hangs over your life. That that would be what we might speak over the lives of one another. That we would not allow each other to live in places of deep insecurity and worthlessness, but rather we would remind one another, you are a daughter of the king who sits over it all. And that our response to the enemy's voice would be to even remind him, I am a son of the Most High. Fascinated me in the Sistine Chapel. If you've ever been there, Michelangelo does his sort of crowning work. The entire room, a room about this size, is filled with his painting. Up there is the finger little thing that everybody knows of. But over in that corner, Michelangelo paints a picture of the last judgments. And in the scene of the last judgment, one of the guys is is holding what is meant to be the flesh of an individual that's being thrown into hell. It's this ugly, ghoulish looking thing. And the face of that chunk of flesh, Michelangelo painted himself. Here you are in the midst of all of his glorious work. And that's how he saw himself. Here you are. As his glorious work. May that not be how we see ourselves. You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the most high. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And how unreal that you invited me into it. Father in heaven, in this place, would this be a picture that even now floods our lives? God, in this place, even now, would there be a moment of destroying old labels that a new banner, a new banner of the king would start to fly over our lives. God, I pray that that the gal who sits in this room today, who's got a horrific label that's hung there for decades now, that she would see that label erased. And she would find herself feeling the crown of glory being placed upon her head. 
for the young man who lived in a world where he felt like he never measured up, was never enough. Dad was never pleased enough. Would you, in all of your majesty, come and replace the label? You have made him a ruler over creation, one who has dominion and authority and great significance, just a notch beneath the heavenly realm. Pick him up, God, I pray. Lift his head. Lord, for all of us, we are blown away that you don't live unapproachable. We are blown away, Father, that you don't live behind walls and ropes and barricades that you don't have an army of defense standing so that we can't get close. We are blown away that even though you, the most majestic one, could say, don't come near, you set it up so that it's from people like us you want to hear praise. Who am I, oh God? that you would be mindful of me. And yet you are. And we are so blessed. Father, as we enter into this thing we call communion, would you let us have some moments of communing with you? As we examine our hearts, God, would you pull out those things that stand in the way? You don't put walls up, but we do. So I pray you would point those out that we might confess them, find them torn down. we might find ourselves in fellowship with you the most high Lord may the majestic not be about getting a new iPhone or having an incredible cup of coffee but may we be a people who know what it means when we contemplate your majesty and then have opportunity to live in the midst of that Lord, let this be a space where we know you. The servers are, when you're ready, uh, come and be a part of communing with the Lord.